one of our mantras is, you know, we meet you where you are, wherever that is on your sustainability journey or your environmental literacy journey, because people are at different points. And some people are just thinking about recycling and that might be the beginning for them. And others are way beyond that and thinking about really using completely different contexts for teaching sustainability. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Welcome into the show, episode 46, coming at you right now, and we're very excited about today's episode, as we are about every episode, of course, but today we welcome Katie Ginsberg, founder and executive director over at the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation, talking to her today about the genesis of the self-organization, their expansion into three of the biggest cities in the entire United States, and how they were able to overcome the pandemic and going virtual and what it's done for them, plus much more much more. But before we get into Miss Ginsburg, let's welcome Mr. Mike Niemer, CEO and founder of eRenewable, telling you what we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Mike Niemer here, president and CEO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both PPAs and VPPAs. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RP process, whether you are a buyer or a seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Additionally, we help customers with microgrid or battery storage development, renewable natural gas by turning waste energy, LED lighting and HVAC efficiency upgrades, unbundled RECs, and provide energy advisory services to our customers. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, Thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. As he alluded to, you can find out more about the company over at eRenew.net. That's eRenew.net. So without further ado, here is Miss Katie Ginsberg, founder and executive director at the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation. We're based in New York and have operations in Houston and have worked in many states across the country. For the last almost 18 years, we've been working with public and private kindergarten through 12th grade school districts and schools, primarily working directly with teachers. And the reason we're working directly with teachers is based on our mission, which is to ensure that sustainability is an integral part of every K-12 student's learning experience. And so how do you ensure that every student is exposed to and becomes aware of and ultimately hopefully passionate about sustainability is through this miracle of education that they experience in their formative years and take with them for the rest of their lives. The greatest sources of influence are teachers. And when I originally conceived of this idea of what education in those, in those formative years could potentially do to create, help create more sustainable communities, healthier, more equitable societies. 
the idea was in thinking about what K-12 education could look like if sustainability became a lens for teaching and learning literally everything. And so when we were formed in 2003, I set off on a course of action that was inspired by my own son, who was at the time in fourth grade and came home on Earth Day from his public school, totally excited about this experience that he had just had in celebration of Earth Day, where his entire grade was invited to become environmental detectives to identify where throughout the school and the campus environmental impact areas existed. And by that, they meant find out any areas where we're losing energy or wasting energy or putting things into the trash that could be recycled or finding faucets that were leaking in the bathrooms or lights that were on when they didn't need to be or computers that were running again when they didn't need to be. And on the campus grounds, identifying invasive plants that shouldn't be there, trash that might've been strewn across the ground and so on and so forth. And so he came home so excited about this experience because number one, it got everybody out of their desks and into the hallways and onto the grounds instead of sitting in front of, you know, the sit and get situation. Um, and, but mostly I think he was excited because they were learning about things they were somewhat aware of, but then given an opportunity to on their own um, through this inquiry based strategy, come up with solutions to problems that they, you know, had a pretty vague idea were beginning to become bigger issues. So it was really empowering. And they, you know, he, he continued to, to be our local household environmental police. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, honestly, we learned a lot from him just from that experience. But then Earth Day was over, and so too were the discussions in school about, you know, some of these great ideas that the students presented as solutions to these issues. And that was my first aha moment of the necessity for environmental education to become much more than once a year on Earth Day, much more than, you know, an endangered species assembly or an after-school club, or maybe a class that you take in high school if you decide to, you know, as, as something that's not part of the core curriculum. You know, at the same time, things like asthma and allergies and a lot of human health issues that we know are directly connected to environmental issues were increasingly covered in mass media and were increasingly seen in school age kids. And that childhood health component was, as a mom, something really, really important to me to understand, you know, what was in the food that I was feeding my kids, what was in the products that I was using on them. And, you know, so there there was a, a big health component that was connected to this idea as well. So I set off on a, on a course of research. My background is marketing. And from my marketing uh, days with a big agency, I was in account management. So was in charge of 
covering sort of all aspects of, of marketing work. So R&D was, was a piece of it and certainly market research. And so applying those skills, I set out to find if there were any programs that were more all incorporate, you know, sort of all inclusive and integrated within core curriculum. So, you know, every science, math class, ELA, and social studies. Um, and lo and behold, I found that in other countries, they use sustainability as an integrative context for everything they teach across those content areas. So when we started out, I, you know, I did not have background in nonprofit business, but I quickly found a group of very experienced people, some with nonprofit background, others with corporate sustainability background, others with environmental law background and business and accounting background and formed a 501c3 not-for-profit with an incredible backbone of founding board members to help you know structure the organization and then started pitching schools nearby on the idea of bringing sustainability into professional development for the teachers. 2003 was the aha moment and, and a lot of research ensued. And then in 2005, we ran our first summer institute. And one of the paths that created uh, that successful first program was by partnering with an organization in the state of New York called BOCES, New York State Board of Cooperative Education Services. And through that partnership, we had direct contact with literally every public school in the state. So that helped, and they had a really strong environmental education program at the time that was striving to move in this broader direction that was part of my vision. And so they helped and partnered on the very first Summer Institute for teachers. And then from there, you know, I, I probably, I should have been discouraged, but I, I wasn't because I just saw, you know, the impact on the teachers was pretty profound and the feedback from them from the school year when they said, you know, our kids are so much more engaged when they're learning in something that they care about. And when they're learning about, you know, sort of basically how the world works instead of just from textbooks, they were learning more from experiential and hands-on processes, which is part of the instructional practice of sustainability education. So that just motivated us to continue and, and grow. And from, and from there, we also recognized the importance and the strategic partnership of have, being associated with college schools of education. And so in 2007, we established a partnership with Manhattanville College, which is a, a liberal arts school here in Westchester County, New York, with a really strong teacher education program. And that allowed us, again, to reach you know, a lot of schools and a lot of teachers to market our summer institute program for K-12 teachers. And then at the same time, you know, sort of local press was catching on and introduced us to some New York state legislators who were likewise really on top of the environmental movement and also on bringing best practices to K-12 education. And they saw the intersection between environmental literacy and best practices in K-12 education is something super compelling. So some of our early funding came from New York State special legislative grants, and that spun off into interested community members, some of whom 
were connected to companies that had foundations and others who had connections to their own family foundations. So from the beginning, we've always had a mix of funding from, you know, sort of a combination of foundation grants and then fee for service that schools will pay for because most schools that value excellence in, in teaching will have, you know, fairly robust professional development budgets. And, you know, so years go by and we've established a reputation and in Westchester County, or I should say really more broadly, the lower Hudson Valley region in New York has been where we worked, um, you know, the first five, six, seven years were largely here in, in uh, the lower Hudson Valley. In 2010, we had a board member at the time who introduced us to the Clinton Global Initiative, which was in its, I would say, midway through its existence. And that allowed us to apply as a nonprofit member. And as part of that membership, we made a commitment to action to support 30 public schools in New York City over a period of, of over a period of three years to work with their teachers in integrating sustainability as part of how and what they teach. So that, that was a pivotal point for our organization to be connected to the country's largest public school district and to their initiative that was associated with Mayor Bloomberg's Plan YC, their, the carbon reduction plan that he put in place when he was, was mayor of New York. Um, so we've been really close partners with New York City Department of Ed's Office of Sustainability. You know, this is how it goes, Fred. One thing leads to another. The dots started to connect, right? So the director of the Office of Sustainability in New York introduced us to her counterpart in Los Angeles, where they too have this district-wide sustainability initiative. And we started working with three middle schools, um, you know, very much um, in underserved communities where they saw sustainability and things like school gardens and um, you know, more hands-on learning opportunities for their kids as a way of engaging students who often weren't engaged in learning. And so that was a really successful beginning to, to working with schools in LA where we continue to work. And then most recently we had an investment from a firm that is based in Houston, has offices in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a visionary leader who saw what we were doing here in New York as being something really exciting to bring to Houston. Mm -hmm. And with that investment and that commitment, we've been now working with HISD and a number of other districts in the Houston region. But as you've gone to L.A. and Houston now, what are you seeing as the biggest challenge when it comes to, you know, implementing sustainable uh, education? And then what is probably the biggest similarity that you've noticed? Because, again, you're talking about the East Coast, West Coast and now the Gulf Coast. That whole experience being in different areas of the country where there's, you know, very different culture and very different approaches to K-12 education, even you know, with state standards being different in all three locations. One of the, I think, most inspiring aspects about our work and really sustainability in any industry or organization is to be successful, you have to have multiple perspectives and you have to understand and learn about 
the, a new place where you might be operating. So in the case of both Los Angeles and Houston, which were new um, to me, it was essential to almost learn a new vocabulary around some of these concepts. So for example, in New York, where we've been talking about sustainability for over, you know, well over a decade, that terminology was not resonating when we went to Houston. It was in Houston much more compelling and I think understandable in the context of environmental literacy, which so we had to make a shift in, in the way we communicate, but we also had to shift in the way that we, you know, sort of met teachers where they are. And that's, that's one of our mantras is, you know, we meet you where you are, wherever that is on your sustainability journey or your environmental literacy journey, because people are at different points. And some people are just thinking about recycling and that might be the beginning for them. And others are way beyond that and thinking about really using completely different contexts for teaching sustainability. It's really an exciting journey to see the transformation, but at the same time, it's a little bit of a headbanger because you think like, why do these things take so long? But that's also, that's human nature, right? I mean, it does, it takes time for people to change. And this is something that I think everybody experienced in the last 18 months on so many different levels and on so many different topics to think about those early day conversations, trying to explain over and over like what it is education for sustainability and how is that different from environmental education and going on to say, well, it's really about how we think about interconnectedness. It's not only about ecosystems, it's about how healthy ecosystems and stable economies and equitable societies, all of that is connected. And so that part of learning over the last almost 18 years has been what's so gratifying to see that people are finally more readily seeing those connections. You know, one, one of the areas that we address in our field is systems thinking. And systems thinking is something that you hear about like in business school and in career management programs. It's not something that you hear about in K-12 education ever. <laughs> I mean, maybe actually I take that back. Sometimes in a leadership position, administrators will take a course in systems thinking because they have to understand their system. When you apply it to Think, learning about your community and what makes it a healthy or unhealthy place to live, either as a human being or, you know, as a plant species or animal species, the, the whole community is a system. And bringing the idea of identifying what constitutes a system into the, you know, sort of the, the imagination of a child is so powerful because then they begin to see how their behavior is connected to the health and well-being of their community, whether it's their immediate family community, the broader town, or the, the globe. Tell the folks at home kind of how self works. The first place we start is finding out where the school or the district is on their sustainability journey. So what does that mean? That means asking a lot of questions such as, you know, what are your goals for your teachers and, and students? 
is there a school mission statement that you are focusing on to really you know bring that culture into the school and then we invite teachers and administrators to explore what sustainability means to them both individually and to their school because the most important thing is that everybody kind of gets on to at least a similar page with regards to how they define sustainability and so that early exercise is one of the first things that we invite the schools to do is to you know really drill down into how what what do they think that term even means because if we start with you know <laughs> all kinds of different opinions it's really hard to to succeed without some kind of consensus around what you want for your school and your school community so we start by defining what sustainability means for that particular school or district to them not not to us because that doesn't matter it has to be about what what's meaningful to the school and then from there we ask about different goals for those four content areas areas the same you know the, the core content so what what are your goals with math science ela social studies and then we do basically a campus assessment of you know what things already exist in this school that could support learning around the concepts of interdependence or cycles or systems or place or community. These are all the, you know, the big ideas that are connected to sustainability. And often a school will have features like a, a small garden or a pollinator pathway or um, be thinking about switching out light bulbs from incandescent to LEDs or something, you know, something physical on the school campus or in the school itself that can offer a learning opportunity to connect with a curriculum. Um, and then we do you know, a lot of team building activities for, for teacher teams that we work with that center on ways to go into more interdisciplinary teaching and learning, which is core to developing a sustainability mindset. Um, so depending on how, you know, how often we're working with the school, if it's during a few days that are already designated as professional development days, we would go in with a, you know, again, you know, with that sort of the first three pathways to, to sort of grounding everybody on the same page and then help develop from the curriculum that already exists some different, you know, different ways of thinking about lessons and units to support sustainability mindset. Some of the silver lining of going into the virtual space and we did go all in and have, you know, sort of developed some pretty cool platforms to use with teachers beyond the Zoom call. Um, that has also enabled us to get into so many more schools that we otherwise would not have reached. So for example, we just had a student exchange between a school in Los Angeles, in New York and in Dubai. And then we also had a student symposium just this Saturday with schools represented from Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, upstate New York, New York City, Houston, and you know, broadly Houston, and then Dallas as well. Okay. Um, and in our summer institute last summer, still COVID days, um, we had a teacher from Brazil participate 
We had teachers from Illinois, from Maryland, from Florida. So this virtual space has actually been, um, again, you know, sm small silver lining for us. And I think it will continue to be that way. What's self got planned for the 2021-2022 school year and beyond? So we are going to remain virtual this summer with a slight addition. <laughs> and I say slight because when we were planning the Institute, you know, just like everybody else, you don't really know what's going to happen a month from now, right? <laughs> um, so just being optimistic, we have included and incorporated some in-person place-based events, both in Houston and in New York. So the teachers who are participating in New York will have an opportunity to join our education team in one of the nature preserves that is on the Hudson River. And in Houston, um, they are going to have an opportunity to take advantage of one of the local places there. Um, in addition to the online professional learning training that we'll offer um, as we did last year. So we have two institutes in July and one in August. The one in August is focusing mainly on civic science topics. We've had a tremendous partnership, actually multiple partnerships that have supported our air quality civic science program. National Geographic is one of our big partners on this project, as well as Plume Labs. It makes this super cool, small, portable air quality monitoring device that we've given out to teachers and their students, thanks to a partnership that we have with a Houston-based company, Micmac CX. Um, and so the, that was actually part of this symposium that I mentioned earlier, that the kids were presenting their data and analysis and, and plans for that. So that civic science program will run all throughout next academic school year. And we have a whole series of professional developments with a number of school districts in Houston and New York plan for the school year as well. And how big is self, by the way? How big is you and your team? Oh, we, we belie the impact that we have because we are small. We have two incredible educators in Houston, both former classroom teachers and former department chairs in their respective schools turned professional development facilitators. And we have six people here in New York. Again, two educators, a director of advancement, director of operations, finance manager, and myself. And then we've in recent years had uh, the tremendous good luck with these college interns who have supplemented the work that we do and who really have elevated our our, our social media and marketing prowess, because that's the age that, you know, <laughs> they're, they're so facile and, ad and, and adept with social media. How do folks, you know, whether you're an educator, whether you're a parent, whether you're an administrator, and, you know, you want to know more about sustainability, you'd love to have self in your school, or maybe you've got some deep pockets and, and, and you, you know, want to uh, contribute to the wonderful work that you and your group are doing. How can we learn more about self and, and find out more about Katie Ginsburg and what her fantastic team is doing? Thanks, Fred. Definitely send them to our website. So that's self-education with a C, C-E-L-F education.org. That's the first stop. Um, all of our programs are listed there. All of the sponsorship opportunities are outlined there. 
so many ways to get involved, both as teachers, administrators in our programs, but also as corporate partners, as foundation partners, and as content partners. And truthfully, there's no way we would have achieved what we've been able to achieve without our partners. So if you take a look at the website, because there are too many for me to even mention right now, but you know, some, some of them I have, like National Geographic, for example, have exponentially increased our distribution channel and you know, really been an incredible partner for us. Um, but there are so many others. And so um, anyone interested in learning more and in finding out ways to get involved, if there, if there isn't something on the website, then just email me or email, you know, that you can sign up for our newsletter on our website too. Thank you so much for that, Miss Ginsburg. Once again, I want to appreciate everybody over at the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation, Katie, Lisa, as well as Rachel and the entire crew over there. Again, Katie and her group are just doing absolutely phenomenal things over at the Self Group. So uh, I encourage you all to go check out their website. Once again, this has been the Green Insider Podcast, letting everybody know you can catch all of the episodes over at Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. And we ask you that if you do check us out over at Apple iTunes, Give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promise you learn more about renewable energy from the podcast than you did before you stopped by. Thank you to Mike Niemer and the entire eRenewable staff. This has been the Green Insider Podcast powered by eRenewable. Everybody have a wonderful and safe Memorial Day weekend. And remember, we make going green easier. Green Insider.